The Torah tells us that on the second day of Passover, they had to bring a barley sacrifice called an omer. An omer is actually a certain measurement of grain. It's a measurement of grain, about three and a half pounds of grain. Um, They would bring this omer barley sacrifice, an omer of barley as a sacrifice, on the second day of of Passover in the land of Israel. Before, from the eve before the Omer is offered, we count 49 days. It's called the counting of the Omer. Because we count from the day the Omer is offered, which is the second day of Passover. We begin counting on the second eve of Passover. We count 49 days. That's the counting of the Omer. The 50th day is Shavuot. So until this, the Torah tells us that until this barley sacrifice was offered on the second day of Passover, we're forbidden from eating any new grain that was grown in the new season until this Omer sacrifice was offered. Now, the grain, the new grain that was grown in the new season is called Chodosh. Chodosh means new. So the new grain, in order to be considered new grain, it has to be one of five types of grain that can become chametz, or that can be used as matzah. Those five types of grain are wheat, barley, oats, rye, and spelt. Only those five types of grain can fall under the prohibition of chadosh, of new grain. So any of those five ty- any other grain does not become chadosh. Any uh, grain from the new season, from those five types of grain, is considered chadosh and forbidden to eat each year until the Omer sacrifice is offered on the second day of Passover. Any grain from the previous season, from before the Omer sacrifice was offered, is called yoshon, old grain. Yoshon means old, chadosh means new. And if it's old grain, you can eat it at any time. If it's new grain, you have to wait until the Passover, the Omer sacrifice was offered on the second day of Passover. How do you define old grain and new grain? So to be considered yashon, old grain, it must have roots in the soil. The seeds of the grain must have had grown roots in the soil before the Omer sacrifice was offered on the second day of Passover. So any seeds that already have roots in the soil on the second day of Passover when the Omer offering is offered at that moment is considered yashan old grain, you're now allowed to eat it. If it did not yet have roots in the soil on the second day of Passover because it was planted too close to Passover or planted even after Passover, you cannot eat it until next year when the Omer sacrifice is offered. How long does it take from when you plant until the grain grows roots? So our sages say it can take up to two weeks. It takes up to two weeks to grow the roots. So anything that was planted on the first of Nisan, which is 14 days, 15 days before the day the Omer was offered on the 16th of Nisan, anything that was planted on the 1st of Nisan or earlier is considered yashon, old grain. And once the 16th of Nisan has passed, once the Omer offering has been brought, we're allowed to eat it. 
Anything that was planted from the second of Nisan and onwards, within the 14 days before the Omer sacrifice was offered, would be considered chadosh, new grain, and we cannot eat it until next year when the Omer sacrifice is offered. So, when the temple stood in Jerusalem... Whenever the Omer sacrifice was offered, now all the grain from last year, any grain that was since, or the grain that was planted before last year's Omer offering, that's fine. But any grain that was planted after last year's Omer offering, or after the two weeks before last year's Omer offering, you're not allowed to eat until the Omer offering is brought this year, on the second day of Passover. How do you know when that is? Well, if you're in Jerusalem, it's very easy. Go walk to the temple or ask somebody who was in the temple, was the Omer sacrifice offered yet? Once it was offered, the word spreads very quickly. What about if you live outside Jerusalem? How would you know? You don't have cell phones. You can't just call. There's no television. How would you know when the Omer sacrifice is offered? Well, word of mouth takes a long time to travel. So it was pretty simple because they knew they always offered that Omer sacrifice in the morning. So by midday, it's for sure been offered. So they would wait till midday on the second day of Passover and then they could eat all the grain from the new season. What was the purpose of that? The purpose of the mitzvah? It's a command. Until this offering is offered, we're not allowed to eat it. Why are we not allowed to eat it? The Torah doesn't give us a reason for this mitzvah. It just says we're not allowed to eat it. So, what happens though? So by midday, they knew the sacrifice was offered. What happens when there's no temple? They don't offer an Omer sacrifice. So how do you ever eat grain? Or does the rule even apply? So the rule is, our sages say, that if there is no temple, the Omer sacrifice or the Omer rule still applies, the Chodesh rule still applies, you cannot eat new grain. Until the day that you would have brought the Omer if there would be a temple. Which would be the 16th of the month of Nisan. The second day of Passover. However, um, as soon as that day comes when you would be able to bring the Omer sacrifice. If there's a temple, you've got to wait for the sacrifice to be brought. If there's no temple, no sacrifice is going to be brought. As soon as the morning comes of the 16th of Nisan, the second day of Passover, you would be allowed to eat all the grain from the new season since that's been planted since last year's Omer offering was, or until the, since the 16th of Nisan last year. However, immediately after the temple was destroyed, the leader of the Sanhedrin, the supreme council of Judaism at the time, was the great sage Rabbi Yochanan ben Zaka. And Rabbi Yochanan ben Zaka was afraid, what if next year the temple is rebuilt? Remember, back then, they didn't know it would take almost 2,000 years to rebuild the temple. They assumed the temple was destroyed. Hopefully, we'll rebuild it very soon. What if the temple is rebuilt? And people are already eating the new grain first thing in the morning on the 16th day of the month of Nisan, on the second day of Passover. And then the temple's rebuilt. They won't know that now they have to wait until after the Omer sacrifice is brought. They can't eat new grain for breakfast that morning. So therefore, he had the Sanhedrin um, make a rule 
and the Sanhedrin have the right to make these rules that the whole day one should not eat the new grain until night. So since that rule was made, once the temple's been destroyed, we are forbidden from eating new grain from the new season until the night after the 16th, the second day of Passover, or the third night of Passover. Only then can you eat the new grain. Now we know outside of the land of Israel, we, eat, we keep an extra day of Yom Tov, an extra day of the holiday. Because when, before they had a set calendar, and we once did a class, we discussed this in greater detail, before they had a set calendar, we didn't know which day was, what was the first day of the month outside of Israel, because they were too far to find out. And even once we had the calendar, we were afraid that people may mess up with the calculations. And so therefore, they said, outside the land of Israel, keep an extra day of every holiday. So we have two days of Yom Tov for Passover. Passover, instead of being a seven-day holiday, becomes an eight-day holiday. And every holiday is an additional day besides Yom Kippur. So therefore, because everything is one more day, therefore, not only are we forbidden from eating the Omer sacrifice on the second day of Passover, until nightfall, but we extend it one more day outside of Israel. So we cannot eat it until the end of the third day of Passover outside of Israel, which would be the fourth eve of Passover until the evening after the 17th of Nisan, or the eve of the 18th, you would not be able to eat the new grain. Yes. And that, oh, matzah. You could eat matzah. But you've got to make the matzah for the first three days of Passover, you've got to make sure you use old grain. You can't eat the old grain through the rest of Passover? You could always eat old grain, but the first three days you can't eat new grain that was harvested this year. Okay. You've got to use grain that was harvested a year ago, a year and a half ago. So is this only pertaining to matzah? Old grain. Well, the grain now is all new grain. You can't eat anyway. Right? The problem is going to be in another year from now. So, most agricultural laws in the Torah apply only in the land of Israel. There are many agricultural laws in the Torah. Most of them apply only in the land of Israel. We have certain pies that we have to separate resting in the seventh year, which we did a class on a few months ago. This is the Shemitah year, seventh year this year. Uh, the land has to rest. Um, and a number of other commandments, various gifts that have to be given to the poor. Um, and all these various commandments are only relevant in the land of Israel. And they generally don't apply outside the land of Israel with a handful of exceptions. There's a few things that are prohibited also outside the land of Israel. Does this rule of Chadosh of not eating the grain of the not eating new grain from up to the from, that was planted within two weeks of the sixteenth of Nisan, not eating it until the following year on the second day of Passover. We said already now it's a few days it's been extended a few days. Is this rule does it apply to grain that was grown outside the land of Israel? Or is it only for grain that grows in the land of Israel? So this question was debated in our very first work of our oral, teach, of our oral Torah, the Mishnah, 
which was written 1,800 years ago, and we've done a class on the Mishnah. So this question is debated in the Mishnah. Now, most debates in the Mishnah, or most debates in Judaism, got resolved over time. There's many debates in the Mishnah, in the Talmud, and other places, but usually issues in halacha in Jewish law are debated by scholars, and then usually a consensus is reached, and we resolve it. This issue is debated in the Mishnah, by the sages in the Mishnah. Later, it is debated by the scholars in the Talmud, debate this question, as to whether the rule of Chadosh, the prohibition of not eating the new grain until the 16th of Nisan, until the Omer sacrifice is brought, applies outside of Israel. This is a debate in the Talmud as well. Not only is it debated in the Talmud, it continues to be debated among the medieval scholars, among scholars that lived post-Talmudic times. And it's an issue that really continues to be debated all the way through to today. We've never reached consent, full consensus on this issue. We've reached some level, and I'll soon get into the details of exactly what the consensus is today. But we don't have a real answer, a, great, a, a final answer to this question. So does it apply in the land of Israel or not? So like everything in Judaism, there is more than one opinion. There is more than two opinions. There are four different opinions as to whether it applies outside the land of Israel. One view is, mentioned in the Mishnah already, that the law of Chadash applies equally outside the land of Israel and in Israel. It's all the same. Any grain outside of Israel that is planted after the second, from the second day of Nisan and onwards may not be eaten until the following year on the 18th of Nisan. You cannot eat it until the following year on the 18th of Nisan, forbidden to eat. Second opinion is that according to biblical law, the rule rule only applies in the land of Israel. However, the sages of the Sanhedrin of the Supreme Council extended this prohibition also, also to outside the land of Israel. So it's not a biblical law anymore, but it is what we call a rabbinic law, a law enacted by the Sanhedrin. We still have to keep such laws, but there are some differences in how we keep them. Most notably, a biblical law, when in doubt, we always are careful just in case. If it's a rabbinic law, generally, with some exceptions, when in doubt, we are more lenient and we don't worry about it. A third opinion is that there, yes, there is a rabbinic prohibition not to eat chadosh, the new grain, outside the land of Israel until the 18th day of the month of Nisan. However, that only applies in the lands close to the land of Israel. It would only apply in, the, in, in Egypt and in Syria, which border the land of Israel. There are a number of other cultural, uh, uh, agricultural laws, like separating tithes, that although the Torah says they only apply in the land of Israel, our sages, because it's hard to know exactly where the borders of Israel are, our sages extended it to the lands around Israel. The lands south of Israel, like Egypt, the lands north of Israel, like Syria, they extended the laws of separating tithes. But once you move further away, those laws don't apply. So according to this view, this is the view of the Sefer Atruma, according to this view, the law of Chadosh, 
the prohibition of not eating new grain outside the, uh, uh, until the 17th or 18th of the month of Nisan only applies for grain that was grown in Israel or lands next to Israel. But any lands further away, there's no concern whatsoever. A fourth opinion is that we are unsure of what the law is. We just don't know. But don't eat it. If you're not sure, don't do it. Because we don't know. Yes, Bill? Uh, let's say you have four opinions, okay? And it's not clear which opinion applies. Do you add all the opinions up and divide by four? What do you do? That's a very, very good question. What do we do? So, it was widely assumed that since there is a view in the Mishnah, many medieval scholars were of the view, since it says in the Mishnah, there's a view in the Talmud, that there is a biblical prohibition to eat chadosh, new grain, outside the land of Israel. It is forbidden from eating all new grain outside the land of Israel. Even those who says there's no biblical prohibition, there's a rabbinic prohibition to eat grain outside the land of Israel. And so therefore it was widely assumed that it is prohibited. However, in about eight, nine hundred years ago, scholars in Europe, medieval scholars, which by that time was the center of Jewish scholarship, and most Jews lived in Europe, either in Spain or in France, Germany, and Western Europe at the time, that was this kind of the center of Jewish life, was um, in Western Europe. Um, and scholars pointed out that nobody's paying attention to this mitzvah. We're so careful about so many mitzvahs. Nobody seems to be paying attention to the mitzvah of Chodosh, the prohibition of eating new grain. Why not? How come nobody's paying attention to it? Everybody's buying grain on the market, and nobody asks, when was it planted? When did you harvest it? Where did it come from? Nobody asks any questions. Why not? And so the answer that's widely given is, well, we live in Western Europe. In Western Europe, in, in Western Europe unlike in Israel they wouldn't get rain in the summer. So because in Israel you don't get rain in the summer, you need the seeds to fertilize during the winter. They're not going to actually grow above ground until it gets warm, until the summer. But you need them to fertilize in the winter. So in the land of Israel, they would plant, and in the Middle East, they planted always in the winter. And usually the beginning of the winter, because during the winter, during the rainy season, it's already too late to plant. They would usually plant in October time. And the, grain, the, the fields would just lie there throughout the winter, untouched. And then they would begin to sprout in the spring. Right? So it was usually planted early. Um, in um, Europe, too, in Western Europe, they didn't usually plant that early, but still they would plant before, in the late winter, before the summer. Because they would plant early, almost all grain, or just about all grain, was always planted before the second of Nisan. By wintertime, even in Western Europe, they would plant grains, would always be planted during the winter or late winter, and um, they would, it would still rain there at that time, but they would plant in late winter. And so by the time the second of Nisan came, there, were very, there was some grain that was still planted later, but it was very unusual. Most grain was planted early. And so since the vast majority of grain is planted earlier, there's nothing to worry about in Western Europe, and that's why nobody pays attention to it. 
because scholars in earlier times must have, paid, must have noticed this, and there was nothing to worry about. Grain generally comes from before the second of Nisan. If it was planted before the second of Nisan, you have nothing to worry about. It's harvested in the summer. Whenever you're eating it, it was planted before the second of Nisan. If it was planted afterwards, it's very rare to still grow that season. And so as a result, it's really not an issue, and so that's why nobody's worried about it. Over time, though, Jewish communities moved. Notably, the Ashkenazic Jewish community that had been centered in France and Germany during the Middle Ages, starting about the 1300s, there was a lot of Jews were expelled from France um, in the 1300s. They were um, later expelled from various parts of Germany. There was a lot of persecution in, in all of Germany. And so Jews began to move in very large numbers to Eastern Europe, to what was at the time the Kingdom of Poland. Poland was a very, very large kingdom. It became the Kingdom of Lithuania and Poland that covered most of Eastern Europe, almost all of Eastern Europe today was covered by this kingdom of Poland. And most Ashkenazi Jews moved from uh, Western Europe to Poland. Now, about 400 years ago, Jewish scholars pointed out that like their grandparents a few hundred years earlier, were unconcerned about the laws of Chodosh, about the new grain. They weren't worried to make sure the grain they were purchasing was... Um, from the, was from the old season, was, had been planted before two weeks before Passover. They hadn't been paying attention to it. So they're, 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 in their days, this is going back 400 years ago, in the 1500s, 1600s, um, it was pointed out that in nowadays, nobody seems to be worried about it either. Except... The excuse or the explanation that our grandparents gave a few hundred years earlier that in Western Europe, in France, in Spain, in Germany, the, the uh, fields are all planted before Passover, all planted early, and so there's nothing really to worry about, is not true in Poland. Eastern Europe, even if it's on the same latitude as Western Europe, because it's further from the ocean, because of there's no mountains blocking it, is much, much colder. Eastern Europe is very, very cold. And, um, and in Eastern Europe, the land doesn't, the ground doesn't begin to thaw out until the beginning of the spring. Until April, it still snows over there. It's like the United States. We're on a similar latitude, much of the United States, to Europe, and it's a lot colder here than Western Europe. But Eastern Europe is same kind of latitude, but it's similar weather to the United States. So, except for the West Coast is warm, but the rest of the country is cold. So, um, so Eastern Europe is the same thing. It gets very cold over there. So the land isn't, doesn't thaw out in Poland, in, even in areas going further south, what today would be Hungary and Ukraine, even in those areas, it's still it's very cold there. And the land doesn't thaw out, begin to thaw out until April. They don't plant there until late April, May, which is 
either right before Passover, during Passover, or after Passover. Which means that most of the grain that is planted in Eastern Europe is planted after the deadline to be considered old grain. And the grain that is then harvested later in the summer, grain usually takes about, depending on the grain, two, three months to grow. The grain that is harvested later in the summer is all chadosh, it's all new grain. You can't eat the grain until next year on the fourth day of Passover, fourth eve of Passover. But for some reason, scholars at the time pointed out, nobody seems to be paying attention. Everybody is so careful with so many of the other commandments, nobody seems to be paying attention to this mitzvah. And while it truly was not an issue in Western Europe or in the Middle East generations ago, but in Eastern Europe it's a big issue. That's an excellent question. That's an excellent question. And Matika pointed out, did the Jewish community plant their own grain? So one of the great scholars of the 17th century was a rabbi called Rabbi Yoel Circus. Rabbi Yoel Circus um, lived in the early um, 1600s. He was a rabbi in Krakow, which was at the time one of the largest Jewish communities in the world. And um, he's known, he wrote a very famous book called the Bayis Chadosh, literally the new house. And it's known by a halachic work. And it's usually called by the acronym Bach. Bach, not the composer, but he's known as Bach by the acronym of his book. And he's always called Bach or the Bach. That's how he's always known. And so Rabbi Circus or the Bach, in his book, Bayis Chadosh, points, was one of many of his contemporaries who points out that there's this rule, you're not allowed to eat the new grain until the third day, the end of the third day of Passover, outside the land of Israel. And all the grain in Poland is all new grain. How are we eating it? And so Rabiel Circus has a novel inter- explanation. He says the prohibition of not eating new grain is only if it was planted by Jews. The grain in Poland is all planted by non-Jews. In fact, Jews were not allowed to own land in Poland. So Jews didn't have any grain. All the grain was all planted by non-Jews. So therefore, he says, you're allowed to eat chadosh in Poland. It's not a problem whatsoever. He says you're allowed to eat the chadosh, you're allowed to eat the new grain in Poland because all the grain is planted by non-Jews and the prohibition doesn't apply to grain planted by non-Jews. Now this is a novel idea. For two and a half thousand years of Jewish history, nobody made this suggestion that the rule only applies to land. And he tries to find different sources for it, but there's no clear source for it. It's somewhat of a novel suggestion. And so many scholars considered this explanation as to why nobody seems to be concerned as somewhat novel and were unimpressed by it. Many scholars said this is not a valid explanation to suggest that, and he does have sources that he tries quotes, but no clear sources 
for this novel state suggestion that let the rule of new of new grain only applies to um, only applies to land planted by Jews. However, the explanation of the Bach Rabiel circus became so widely accepted that everyone just relied on it. How do we eat new grain in Eastern Europe if it's all new and we know that it was planted after Passover this year and it's, we shouldn't really be allowed to eat it? Well, it belongs to non-Jews. So much so that later, um, Pol- the kingdom of Poland not long after that fell apart. The kingdom of Poland um, was split. Most of it became part of the Russian Empire. Some of it moved on to Germany and to other places. And when it became part of the Russian Empire, Jews were limited in a pale of settlement. We've spoken about that before um, in other classes. Jews were limited within a pale of settlement. Um, They weren't allowed to move outside certain areas. And then in the 1700s, um, the Russian Empire captured southern, what today is southern Ukraine. At the time, it was Tatar lands. Um, it belonged to Tatars, which were a Turkic tribe, and it was part of the Ottoman Empire. And the Russians captured it, all of southern Ukraine. That's the area where they're fighting now, they're across southern Ukraine. And the Russians, it was mostly um, uninhabited, and the Russians wanted to settle it, and they um, had various, they kind of similar to what we had homestead acts over here to offer people free land if they go down there. And the Russians offered free land to any Russian that goes down there, which is why southern Ukraine is mostly Russian-speaking still today. And they also offered Jews land in southern Ukraine. When we did the class on the history of Jews of Ukraine, we spoke about this. They offered Jews land in southern Ukraine. Jews who could not own land until now were now able to own farms. And many Jews took the opportunity. And dozens, if not hundreds, of Jewish farming communities opened all across southern Ukraine. And uh, there were many, many, many Jewish farms. But southern Ukraine is still cold. It still gets very cold over there. And so the Jews of southern Ukraine um, had a problem because they're now growing their own grain. And so the rabbis there came up with a solution, simple solution, similar to what we do on Passover. We're not allowed to own grain. We're not allowed to own chametz on Passover. What do we do if we have chametz and we don't want to lose it? What do you do? You sell it to a non-Jew. They came with a simple solution. Sell the grain. What, when you plant it, sell the growing grain to the non-Jew and then purchase it back from them once it's fully grown. And that's what they did. They would sell the grain to the non-Jew relying on this ruling of Rabiel Circus of the Bach that if the non-Jew owns it, then there's no prohibition of eating new grain, of eating chadash. There were other explanations offered for why Jews were not concerned or just ignored this mitzvah of not eating new grain. One explanation was from Reb Avram Gumbiner. Reb Avram Gumbiner wrote a halachic work called the Magin Avraham in the um, late 1600s, and it's considered one of the most important halachic works for Eastern European Jews. And over there he said, simple, there is an opinion, the opinion of Rabbeinu Baruch, um, an earlier medieval scholar who says that the rule, and I mentioned that earlier, that the prohibition of chadash, of not eating new grain, only applies in 
the land of Israel. And even outside the land of Israel, there's a rabbinic prohibition only in the lands near Israel and Egypt and in Syria. But once you go beyond Egypt and Syria, there's no problem whatsoever. We follow that opinion. And that's why we're not worried about it. Even though it's only a single opinion, most other scholars disagreed with this. Nevertheless, he says, we follow that opinion. Yes, Carol. That applies outside of Israel. That applies outside yes. of Israel. That applies outside of Israel. Why we're not concerned about that is a great question, and we can talk about that after the class. So the rule of Chadash, that you cannot eat new grain that has been planted from the second of Nisan until after the next year, on the 18th of Nisan, that rule um, and the fact that the Jews have not been concerned about it for much of our history, is very unusual. Generally, the Jews have always been very careful to follow God's commandments of the Torah throughout history. We're very careful about the commandments. Now, there's always been some that were lax, but there's always been pious Jews who are very careful. And in every community, there's always been Jews that were very careful about all the commandments. It's very rare... It's not the only such example. There are others, but it's very rare to have a clear mitzvah, a clear commandment that nobody seems to be following, nobody seems to be paying attention to. Usually there are pious Jews that are extra meticulous to fulfill mitzvahs, even going beyond the basic law, or even when there's an opinion that is extra strict, to follow the extra strict view. And yet with the laws of Chadosh, with the laws of the new grain, for close to a thousand years, Jews largely ignored the mitzvah, maybe even longer, but at least a thousand years. Jews have been largely ignoring it. For some time when we lived in Western Europe, at least we had an excuse that it wasn't that relevant. But then in Eastern Europe, the last 500 years, we've been largely ignoring it. And while scholars like Rabiel Circus, the Bach, and Rabbi Avram Gumbiner offered explanations to defend the custom, one would have expected the Jewish community to be more concerned about the prohibition. So why were we not concerned about the prohibition? So many suggested that in Europe, it was simply hard to get grain that you could trace back to the date of planting. It was hard to get. Grain in general was hard. Jews were very poor. Grain was a basic necessity. You couldn't live without bread. And so they really had no choice. And it was one of a number of commandments that we took a more lenient approach simply out of necessity. There weren't really too many options. Jews did not really, were not really able to store grain for long periods of time. They didn't necessarily control the grain business. And so due to the difficulty, people relied on these leniencies. There were many scholars, most notably the Vilna Gaon, the um, Rebeliao of Vilna, who was a great leader of Lithuanian Jewry about 250 years ago, and the Alter Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe, who was also a great halachic leader um, in um, Belarus about 250 years ago, and many others who called on people to be stricter. And even though for generations nobody paid attention to this prohibition of not eating the new grain, you should. And as a result, there were pious Jews that indeed made an effort to track the grain where it came from and how long it's been since it was planted to avoid the prohibition of chadash of new grain. But that was mostly an exception. Most Jews, even pious ones, were not concerned or didn't worry about it. 
Even the Hasidim, the Hasidim were the followers of Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tov, um, who was the Hasidic movement that started about 300 years ago in Eastern Europe. And the majority of Eastern European Jews became Hasidim over time. And they were very meticulous when it came to following various commandments. But they seemed to ignore this prohibition of the new grain. And the reason for this was based on the teaching of the founder of Hasidism, the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov said that since there was a, this was a practice practiced by Jews for hundreds of years, and since the Bach, Rabbi El Circus, had defended it, we should rely on his defense and rely on the tradition going back hundreds of years and not worry about it whatsoever. And the Baal Shem Tov continued and said that when Rabbi El Circus died, they allowed him to ease the suffering of those in Gehinnom, those that were suffering because of the bad they had done in this world. Um, when he died, his merit of finding an um, explanation for why we were not concerned with Chadash was so powerful that it eased the suffering of those who had considered other, committed other transgressions um, because of his great merit. So um, the Baal Shem Tov Therefore said, it's something we've done for so long, clearly it's God's will that we follow the more lenient views in this case. So what happens today? So today, grain planted in the land of Israel, and there isn't that much grain planted anymore in the land of Israel. Um, Israel doesn't do that much grain, that much agriculture at all, and even agriculture that does is mostly higher-end products. So, but grain planted in the land of Israel, where this mitzvah applies, is definitely forbidden according to all opinions. No question, that is the prohibition. You cannot eat grain planted in the land of Israel after the two weeks before the 16th of Nisan. You cannot eat it until the following year, um, the 17th of Nisan in the land of Israel, and the 18th outside the land of Israel. Now, in Israel, there are many agricultural mitzvahs. <coughs> Tithes, not eating the mitzvah of the seventh year. And so all produce that comes from Israel must have proper kosher certification. Generally, you buy produce outside of Israel, you don't have to worry about the kosher certification of that produce. Because produce generally is kosher. Uh, but produce from the land of Israel must be kosher certified. You go to the fruit store in Israel, you've got to ask what is the kosher certification because you've got to make sure all of the kosher laws, agricultural laws, were uh, kept, including the law of Chadash, including the law to make sure that you're not eating the new grain. Outside of Israel, though, it's gotten today, back then, a few hundred years ago, it was very hard to track where the grain came from. Today we have much better ability to track where our grain comes from. Now, here in the United States, we have a similar problem to Eastern Europe. In the United States, most of the U.S., outside of the West Coast, or the Sun Belt, as they call it. Uh, most of the United States, the South and the West Coast, is very, very cold. We have similar weather. We're similar latitude to Eastern Europe and Western Europe, but we have closer weather to Eastern Europe than Western Europe. And so most of the United States is very cold. Most of the um, grain-producing states are very, very cold places, where, again, the land does not fall out until um, April or even May. And so most... Farms in the United States do not plant until spring or even late spring. Most grain grown in this country 
is not grown until, um, is not planted until after the two-week deadline before Passover. Which means that most grain that is grown here, you cannot eat until the following year on the 18th of Nisa. Now, the reality is that grain in this country, because of commercialization, often takes a long time to reach the markets. It goes through quite a process till it reaches the markets. And we store grain for a very, very long time um, because we don't want to have a food shortage. Grain in this country is stored. We have very, lots of big silos where we store huge amounts of grain um, in order to ensure that even if there is a shortage or there is a bad, bad harvest or whatever it may be, there will be grain going forward. There will be plenty of produce. So grain does become, is stored, but it's hard to know which grain, which is stored, which isn't. Depends. Depends on the particular type of grain also. Certain types of grain that are more considered staples um, and traded as commodities tend to be stored for longer. Other grains, especially, especially specialty grain, um, tends to move very quickly. So the reality is that most Jews um, here in the United States today um, are not concerned about Chadosh as our grandparents weren't, relying on the view that it doesn't apply outside the land of Israel, doesn't apply to non-Jewish owned farms. But there has been a movement in recent years to be careful with Chadosh. And many of the kosher certification organizations do track the source of grains. And today, many grain-based foods are certified as yashon, as old flour. In fact, you could go on, um, I think there's even a yashon website dedicated just to tell you which grains are yashon, that will tell you which brands um, and usually, if you actually buy on the thing of flour, on the flour that you buy, not only will it tell you the brand, it will usually also tell you the factory that it came from, the mills that it came from, where it was produced. And they'll tell you which ones are, you have nothing to worry about, because they wait a very long time until they get to market, and which ones you should worry about. And um, indeed, many kosher certifiers will write on a grain-based product, Yashon. It is from the old grain. It is certified that it is from the old grain. And so many today are careful to only eat the old grain. And yet most kosher Jews, most Jews who are observant of kosher, like their ancestors, don't worry about it. And even Hasidic Jews and people who are very meticulous and with mitzvahs and very careful with the laws of kosher and go are extra careful are still not worried about the laws of Chadosh, of eating the new grain. And this is based on the tradition that we mentioned before from the Baal Shem Tov, that one should be lenient with this particular <coughs> commandment. So Chadosh, this prohibition of not eating the new grain, is, as we said, one of the few commandments where Jewish tradition does not seem to be in line with Jewish law on the books. Or where our traditions don't follow what should have ideally been the Jewish law or take a very lenient view of the Jewish law. And yet Jews for 500 years, even 1,000 years, have continued to follow this tradition. And this points to a very important part of Judaism, which is that Judaism is not just a book of rules, not a book of rules. It's a live teaching. And so we don't just follow Judaism by the book. 
We have books of rules. But it's not just by the book. Judaism is lived. And the commandments of Judaism are practiced based on the way they've been lived for hundreds of years, for thousands of years. And this goes back to the Talmud. Many times the Talmud would point out that people act a certain way, although the law in the books appears to say otherwise. And the Talmud usually would explain why the law doesn't mean what it says, and it means something else. To defend what is widely practiced. And this thing is not only done by the Talmud, but done by scholars throughout the throughout history, where rather than following the law as the law says, we follow the law as widely practiced. Now to be clear, and that means that Judaism is followed by tradition. You can't just read the books and know how to practice Judaism. You've got to know what we actually do, how it's lived in real life. Now to be clear, when we say that we follow Judaism the way it's practiced, We're referring to Jewish traditions the way it's been practiced by God-fearing people who were meticulous in the practice of Jewish law and people who were knowledgeable in the laws of Torah. There have always been Jews throughout history who unfortunately were lax in the laws and didn't bother following the laws or all the laws. Their traditions are mistaken. They were just lax. They weren't acting the way they should. There were people who simply were not knowledgeable. They didn't study. They did what their, they heard their grandmother say. What we call in Yiddish, Ababamaisa. It comes from the grandmother. But they don't know the laws. And I come across it all the time. People who tell me various things that they do or they were told to do, but they're not based on the laws. They're incorrect. And there are some very popular mistaken laws that have somehow spread, but they're not accurate. So we're not talking about those things. People who are either not knowledgeable or not careful or both. What we mean when we speak of the law as practiced is more important than the law of the book. We mean the law is practiced by pious Jews, Jews who are very careful in the commandments, and Jews that were knowledgeable in the commandments. And yet, often or from time to time, there were certain mitzvahs that seemed to be done differently than the way they were written. And this has been true in a number of various cases. There's been a number of things that this has been true for. And our scholars, rather than saying, everyone, you're doing it wrong, you've got to do it differently, they would say, if that's the way they've been doing it, that must be the right way to do it. And then try to explain, as Rabbi Yosirkas the Bach did, try to explain why that is the real way it should be. They try to then explain it. And so it really teaches us that the Torah is not just the law for the books. It's an oral teaching. And even once we've written down the oral teachings, it remains an oral teaching. It remains something that is passed from generation to generation. And we keep mitzvahs not just with what it says in the books. You don't just open the book and say this is what it says. But based on what we saw our parents and our grandparents and previous generations doing. Based on the way we've done over throughout history. Torah is a live thing. The mitzvahs that we're doing today are the same mitzvahs our parents, our grandparents, and our ancestors have been done doing for many, many, many generations. And therefore, our mitzvahs are not just this is what it says, but this is our history. This is who we are. 
And sometimes the Jew will tell me, you know, we never did that. We never put on tefillin. I didn't know. My bar mitzvah, nobody told me to do it. We never lit Shabbat candles. We never did it. I tell them, you know, you didn't do it because unfortunately, for whatever reason, your parents or your grandparents dropped certain Jewish practices. I don't know why, maybe due to pressure or due to um, external influences. But if you go back two generations, three generations at the most, your grandparents were doing all the mitzvahs. Your grandparents were following all the commandments. This is part of your history. This is your tradition. It's not just this is what it says in the books to do. It's not just this is what the rabbi is telling you to do. This is who you are. This is your history. This is your background. And so Torah is really, we're a continuation of that history, and it's really up to us to keep that history going.